James. Raf. How are you, mate? Yeah, no, I'm not too bad. I was thinking, mm-hmm. I know this isn't the Meeting Tree podcast. <laughs> I know this is different territory. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to bring up something related to sort of type of guy discourse. Go on. <laughs> you know the type of guy, the foodie type of guy or gal. Yeah, type of person. <laughs> has gone extinct in my view. No more foodies. No more foodies. No, I mean, there are people that love food. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people who considered themselves foodies were, in fact, just people who love food. That's true. They, they loved eating. True. But they turned it into a, a performance. It, yes. was a re- it was a real thing for in, like, the first few years of Instagram experience. Totally. 2011 through, to like, uh, 2015, 2016, maybe. You know what? We go to cafes a lot. I'm going to start documenting it. Yeah, exactly. I'm taking my whole Instagram grid as photos of all this wonderful food I've been having. You go to a new cafe and it's just full of people taking photos of their food. Mm. You know, I sound like a boomer. Mm. But it was a real thing for a while. Definitely. The foodie was a real, it was a type of account in a lot of ways. Yeah. One would not introduce themselves as a foodie. Oh, they did. I'm a food blogger. Exactly. The Instagram cafe, I mean, there's an, there's an industry built up around, where did they go? Where did what, the foodies What happened go? to the foodies? I put it to you that some of them migrated over COVID into being the home cooking types. Yeah. You know, I'm making bread, cakes. Some of them went into like more insane directions, kind of like the whole BuzzFeed tasty stuff. Well, part of this may be, not to over-intellectualize it, but we went from stills to video. So all of a sudden, a still of some food, of a oh, dish. A chi- of a chicken wrap. If it was ever any good, I don't know, questionable, but it seemed to have a moment. As you said, they were, they were everywhere. People would follow the croissant slut and stuff like that, yeah, right? Exactly. It does great work, let's be honest. And the nature of video is that, Either A, now you need to start talking to the camera, which, let's be honest, is not everyone's strength. No. Not a lot of people's strength. The face for Instagram. And, um, and they might not even know that. Two, you've got to actually make it entertaining and interesting, which is difficult to it's say. Right. It's diffi- Showbiz is a, it's a tough business. And again, the brutal content struggle, the arms race leads to, is, yeah, fucked up tasty vids where people are making like, like a- Cheeseburger lasagna. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That was the sad death of foodie culture, I think. Yeah. Seeing someone make breakfast cake, which was <laughs> which was just a bunch of bacon wrapped around sausage cooked into a crust. Something that no human being would ever eat. No. That was the sad death of foodie culture. And everyone in the comments being like, who would ever eat that as if the person posting it, like that wasn't the entire point. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. I don't think it was the death. It was the logical, well, it was not even the conclusion. Like We're on a continuum. Right yeah. now, that's where we're at. Yeah. Photos of food and saying... Eight out of ten for the eggs Benedict is long gone. <laughs> it's gone. I mean, what next? What next? We're talking about Silicon Valley and the tech industry's long fascination with trying to revolutionize and disrupt food. Yes. And the way we eat. Yeah. I think they're sort of bubbling around in the background of the tech industry for a little while, both in sort of like the startups that get founded, also the culture. Yeah. Food is like a real fixation. Definitely. For tech guys. Yeah. And like one might say like, well, it's a fascination for everyone. But I mean like sex is a fascination for everyone. But Silicon Valley and like tech bros and VCs in general don't plow headlong into sex. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. In the same way they do food. No, it's true. Or air. air. Yeah, exactly. They're not trying to revolutionize breathing. <laughs> food is a big fixation for them. So we're trying to like figure out, we're like, oh, where does this little story begin? Mm. And 
we could go all the way back to the 1970s, but we won't do that. We won't go back and talk about the hippie, crunchy granola lifestyle lived mm. by many of these these tech guys. The one that came onto the radar, I think, for most people earliest as being like a kind of tech industry innovation in the world of food was Soylent. Soylent, which still exists. Soylent does exist, still exist. So Soylent kind of launched in the early parts of the last decade. And that was like a first time people really got exposed to this like weird tech industry fascination with trying to like change the way that we eat. Mm. For those that don't remember Soylent, it is a kind of a nutrient sludge <laughs> yeah it's a, like a weird it's like a smoothie so the world's most horrible smoothie so there was an american programmer back in 2013 his name is rob reinhardt and he had a blog where he sort of talked through a lot of his technical programming things basically he started a little project where he wanted to eliminate the need for him to eat and he had a real like engineer brain about this mm. had like a whole spreadsheet it was kind of like you know how much of my life do i waste on food not just eating it, but like thinking about it, yeah. buying stuff, cleaning up after I've been cooking. It's an inefficiency. It's, it's highly inefficient. It's highly inefficient. So what I'm going to do is he looked up what are all the basic nutrients that human beings need mm. in that like to survive. To live. And he came down, he came with a list of like 25 essential nutrients and ingredients and chemicals essentially that human beings need yeah. to survive. And he was like, well, I can just buy those. Yeah. And then he bought them in like industrial quantities from like laboratories and like wholesalers and whatever. Grounded up into this like horrifying sludge. Yeah. And was like, well, I'm just going to experiment with eating this for a while. Yeah. And I have a little quote from Robert Reinhardt's blog, which is still online. So you can go look up his original blog mm. where he documented his Soylent journey. And this was him after weeks of consuming this weird sort of like nutrient potion. Mm. It's grey, right? It's it's grey. He said that, it, like, he literally described it as looking like basically like an industrial byproduct. Mm. It was like so, something that like came out of a machine in a factory. And if you think about it, you think like, oh, the most horrible thing to potentially eat or look at is like brownie green or something like that. But actually, there's something really cursed about a grey yeah, food cause, stuff. Because grey is like coming from a lab. Yeah, there's stuff in nature that's like brown and green. To me, that suggests it comes from the earth. <laughs> Yes. Which is brown and green, yes, synonymous with the earth. Exactly. Uh, Grey, that came out of like a spaceship or something. Yeah. Uh, but this is the quote from him. After He said, I feel like a $6 million man. My physique has notably improved. My skin is clearer, my teeth whiter, my hair thicker, and my dandruff gone. My resting heart rate is lower. I haven't felt the least bit sickly, rare for me this time of year. My mental performance is also higher. My inbox and to-do list quickly emptied. This mm. is like the, the metric for like success mm. as a tech guy, inbox zero. <laughs> you can get it by eating slime. I get new concepts in my reading faster than before, and I can read my textbooks twice as long without mental fatigue. Sounds pretty good. Sounds like a, great. Like a nootropic. The ultimate nootropic because it replaces everything. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, he decided to sort of commercialize this and start basically a Kickstarter that he was going to use to turn this product. Something he, he solicited VC funding. And this is like the other side of like all these food things. They're venture back company. You know, these are VCs being like, apply the same mindset that you would apply to building an exciting new SaaS business. Yeah, build it like a, a new one-click checkout. A, a forgot cart automated exactly. email marketing exactly. software. But for food that people use to like sustain themselves. Yeah. Um, so he did that. Boylan is named after, well, actually, it's named after a novel called Make Room. Make Room. And then the film version, which is Soil and Green, sci-fi movie where it turns out that it's made out of human beings so it was kind of like a joke mm. basically obviously a lot of people didn't really take it as a joke i thought it was kind of disturbing but 
<laughs> and the first people that really got into it were like the life hackers, the yeah. people that are like, I need to make my life biohacker. Yeah, I need to make my life as efficient as possible. I need to be living at peak performance at all times, mm. which but, was endemic to the culture of Silicon Valley at the time. Hyper efficiency, exactly. Yeah, it, it fits in with Steve Jobs always wore the black turtleneck every day so that he didn't have to make a choice. So you don't get decision fatigue. Every morning you wake up, you know what you're going to wear. Guess what? That's one decision taken off the table. Yeah, leaving your brain for all of the incredibly more important decisions that happen every day efficiency cut out anything out of life that in any way impacts on my ability to be a machine exactly just get it get that bag yeah yeah, yeah. get the bag like the more time you have in your life to code instead of thinking about food yeah apply all of that mental energy to like the next friggin' open bracket <laughs> so that eventually became a commercial product you could buy it online a bunch of imitators sprung up Everyone had like a moment. It was in the news everywhere. There was like long reads in the New York Times about the radical changes to food that were coming because of programmers. Mm. You may have noticed that Soylent is not actually what everyone eats at all times now. No. Didn't really take off in the end. They still do exist. They still like sell their core product, which is like the powder, which you can turn into the sludge. But they also do a bunch of like ready to drink stuff and they've sort of like up and go vibe. Yeah, no, it's like up and go. And they have a new CEO who came from like the rest of like the food and beverage industry. And like they basically sell themselves as kind of like a health food protein supplement kind of thing, Mm. which is sad because in its original conception, it was like fucked up alien stuff for weirdos. Yeah, yeah. And now it's like yoga mom stuff yeah well, it turns out the market for people who don't enjoy food or any of the cultural <laughs> rituals associated with it is not that big pretty small <laughs> it was it was definitely like a telling thing in his original blog where he just kind of like hand waves away the idea that people like eating food with each other because it's it's a normal human experience yeah people don't mind social context like, actually quite yeah like the half an hour lunch break is, <laughs> it's actually like, most people who work quite enjoy that <laughs> it's not just a food thing like there's there's something else going on there But yeah, that was a zeitgeist. The next big food innovation that springs to mind that I guess had a moment, to me at least, is the Juicero. (laughs) The Juicero, yeah. This is the one that we didn't mention in last week's subscriber episode on scam, or the week before's episode on scams, we should have. (laughs) It uh, was one of the great scams. Yeah. Again, times moved. Burning Man happened. All of a sudden, I guess, Silicon Valley got a little tiny bit back to its late 60s, early 70s roots of the hippie movement slash military industrial context. But like, no, more the <laughs> more former. The hippie stuff, yeah. And people remember juice was a thing, right? You could walk through the galleries of Victoria and Sydney and like buy a $12 charcoal activated pressed juice, cold pressed juice. Yeah, yeah. Green Ju- juice. Yeah, juice was a, a thing. It was the healthiest thing in the world, not just like the equivalent of a Coca-Cola. And Juicero, though, was a brilliant idea. What if you could harness the power of cold-pressed juice, which, as we all know, is magical and very different to squeezing a juice? Invigorating. It has unusual spiritual properties that a regular juice doesn't have. Yeah, especially if you combine the right elements. So, like kiwi fruit orange and yeah like almond or yeah, charcoal it, or whatever it unlocks human potential obviously that's way too hard to just like buy in a bottle or whatever so you buy a juicero and subscribe reoccurring revenue to juicero pouches proprietary pouches that go in the juicero machine the machine costs a bunch of money the subscription costs a bunch of money and the machine somehow turns these mystic pouches into juice i want to stress as well that the juicero was like physically enormous mm. if you're in the business of appliances coffee machines food processes like your kitchen aids all that sort of stuff you want kitchen bench share yeah. Unless you've got a huge house, 
most people only have a small amount of bench space that mm. you're sort of competing for. Yeah. And the Juicero was physically enormous. Yeah. They took the PlayStation 5 approach. It was like, this is a statement piece. I'm a Juicero <laughs> drinker. <laughs> I'm a juice guy. It's so large, I can't have a microwave. I can't have... Yeah, the toast is in the poison. cupboard. They're poison. Microwaves, poison. We've got to have a Juicero. Everything is juice. It immediately became apparent that these pouches, you could just rip open the top and the juice was inside. <laughs> it was kind of like a concentrate. Yeah. Which is what they sold it as. They were like, oh, this is like a concentrate or whatever. or I don't know. And then there's some sort of cold press process that happens inside the machine. And it turned out that you could just squeeze them really hard yeah. and the juice would come out. And not only that, that's actually what the machine did. <laughs> the machine, you would just put the pouch in with this concentrate, which was, I think it was these like slick, nice little packages. Yeah. And it would just compress them super hard. And keeping in mind, as I said, this is like a one square meter device. <laughs> That dominates your kitchen. Yeah, and they had millions in startup founding. And- yeah, yeah. And it was literally just like a big compressor that squeezed these tiny packages. Um, it was kind of around the Theranos time. It was like similar time frame, roughly, as when that stuff has come out. So they kind of got lumped in together. But it was kind of like a way stupider version of Theranos. Like at least Theranos had a bunch of like brainiacs who were trying to solve this difficult problem. Yes. And we're running into like problems like the law of physics. Yeah. Been, you Whereas know, Gisero, are you saying, had a bunch of idiots <laughs> trying to solve a non-existent problem. <laughs> exactly. They were trying to create a problem when none existed. <laughs> so the Gisero is on the sort of the, the fucked up end of, of Silicon Valley. But the main reason that we wanted to do this episode, because it's sort of the exact thing we're talking about here, is the recent tech industry fixation on finding products to get us away from eating meat. Yeah. And obviously that's very topical. You know, eating meat, objectively pretty bad mm. for the environment. Factory farming is bad for the environment. Methane emissions, blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, there's like the animal rights stuff that comes into it. There's the health stuff. Yeah. So there's all these different factors that are like coalescing. Obviously, climate change is like the big overarching thing. Plenty of reasons why people are thinking about getting away from meat. Yes. So there's been a number of startups and broad things that are trying to like figure out what does a meat-free future look like? for the world and how do we like facilitate it Mm. i've been getting all sorts of venture money the number one fixation above everything else has been plant-based meat yeah so meat-free meat yeah essentially led by startups like uh impossible burger Mm. and beyond burger and then a million of imitators yeah who are basically trying to find and have been trying to find a way of creating plant-based meat that based on like soybeans and legumes and what have you Mm which is really like meat, has the mouthfeel and experience of meat without actually being meat. Mm. What is meatiness? The quality of meatiness, what is that? And how can we put that on like a soy patty? But yeah, as you say, like this became a tech problem and is still, I'd say, a tech thing. It was. I mean, I remember like lab-grown meats and plant-based meats three years ago. There were stories everywhere in mainstream press about this yep. innovative new stuff and you heard about Impossible Burgers and Beyond Burgers. And it wasn't everywhere. just hearing about it. Like it was in supermarkets. Yeah, yeah. Like there were, And there were all these different challenges that would do it. And the tech connection is really interesting because it sort of fed into that general problem that we've alluded to heaps on this podcast where it's kind of like if you are able to sell your company as a tech company mm. with like tech-based solutions to problems, 
you will get way more investment and your valuations will be way higher. Yeah. The common example of this, which is not food related, but is WeWork, right? WeWork was like the number one example of this thing where they were a real estate leasing company mm. or a subletting company that managed to sell themselves as a tech company. And as a result, their valuations shot through the roof. On the food side of things, it's much easier to sell yourself in terms of investment valuation as a tech company where like solving thorny problems with research and development mm. as compared to I'm selling like packaged processed food in a supermarket. Yeah, I'm selling vegan sausages. But <laughs> And most importantly to that is you're going to be the biggest company in the world. Yeah, you're not just like, oh, we hope to take 1% of market share within this particular industry, in this particular area, in these particular demographics or whatever. You're saying that, and these companies did, by 2030, 50% of the world will be eating fake meats and we will have that entire market. So therefore, our revenue we predict to be $50 billion a year or exactly. what have you. The market is everyone who eats meat yeah. and we're taking half of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which implies... Yeah, we're going to grow really quickly and we're going to we're going to go public and we're going to be this huge corporation that you're going to own shares in that you've bought really cheap at an early stage. This is I guess the good sleight of hand, right? By making yourself tech because you're a mystical like magical biotech company that uses technology to create vegan patty or whatever that is going to solve climate change, fix everyone's health and is way more ethical then yeah, now all of a sudden we're talking got a half a trillion dollar company on our hands yep several problems with it several problems which are playing out now in the sense that the valuations of these companies are falling their sales are going like their market share is going backwards yeah no one is talking about plants-based meat anymore no it's completely fallen out of the conversation yeah there's a few problems that come with it. number one is that the sort of imagined market the perfect customer of like plant-based meat was like the kind of person we we're sort of talking about at the beginning where it's they're worried about climate change mm. Maybe a little bit, they're a little bit iffy on what factory farming is like. Yeah, they know it's kind of bad. They, go, they know it's bad. They would like to have eat more plants and vegetables in their diet. Yeah, they'd like to be making conscious choices about yeah. how they eat, but not drastic. Yeah. Nothing drastic. But they love meat. They love meat they too love much. Meat. So they would love something that's exactly like meat or as close as possible while not having any of the moral problems. And I think what has been revealed is that like that's there's like five guys yeah. on the whole planet that are like that. It is a very niche segment. It's, 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 exactly. Like there are people that love meat, and I, I think it revealed preferences come in the way that people. But there are pro there are so many people, probably like myself as well, who are like, oh, I should probably eat less meat mm. and go more plant based, but then just sort of do nothing about it. Yeah. And it turns out that the people that are actually buying them Possible Burgers and like Beyond Burgers are by and large people who are already vegetarian who want and want more options. Yeah, I want more options. I've kind of flirted with vegetarianism. Was vegetarian for a number of years and kind of go off I'm, I'm a low meat guy yep. i'm a low man you don't need to put a label on these things that's the thing it shouldn't be some huge jump which i think is part of it it's like we're going to hit that niche of people who don't wish to label themselves a vegetarian or a vegan or whatever no one needs to label anything just be just eat whatever just be yourself just eat less meat now i'm a low meat guy but when i was like full vegetarian not that it, i was the same person i was still me you immediately don't crave meat that's the whole thing with diet, right? When you stop drinking Coca-Cola and Fanta, you don't crave them. And then when you do happen to like drink a Coca-Cola, you're like, oh, like this is so sweet. I don't want this. The same is very true of meat. That person the, who craves meat but wants to be vegetarian just doesn't exist. Yeah, totally. Or it's a transitional period yeah. <laughs> like between vegetarianism and, and meat eater. 
also worth noting the other big thing, like the health benefits obviously don't exist. Yeah, totally. Because, you know, to make this stuff actually taste good for this mythical customer who's like a meat lover, yeah, it's actually, it turns out to be it's quite hard to make like a legume patty taste like meat. Impossible has the thing where they discovered a particular kind of like protein or whatever, which gives it like that bloody, juicy, meaty kind of mouthfeel, essentially. Mm. And they went through a whole insane process to get themselves approved by the whatever the american health fda and things like that Mm. because they were like this is the key to make it work but yeah that in conjunction with the stuff to actually make it taste like that normally involves like absolutely overloading it in like sodium Mm. and enough of the bad stuff that at the very best you're making kind of like a lateral move in Mm. terms of health benefits you're not really gaining anything by doing it and because like you know at the end of the day it's incredibly processed food yeah insanely processed food with all the the negatives that come with that Right. Yeah, as well as being very expensive to create. Yeah, totally. You know, I actually haven't had, I think I've had an Impossible Burger, but I've had some of like the local Australian variants that, that popped up over the years. I had the a few of the Burger King Rebel Whoppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In Australia, they're the V2 food. Actually, I'll tell this story because it's incredibly revealing about the whole sector, basically. So when I was a business insider a few years ago, V2 food was launched, which is one of the Australian plant-based meat companies with v2 just being basically like 2.0 yeah v2 food it's it's food version two yeah it's it's great and it was really pumped up at the beginning as being a partnership between jack cowan who is the guy that founded hungry jacks for our american listeners that's what burger king is called in australia but a partnership between jack cowan and the csiro which is australia's you know national science agency basically Mm. so it's a partnership between you know a fast food entrepreneur and like Australia's science agency. Like, this is tech, folks. Yeah. You know, this is research. Yeah, yeah. It turned out it wasn't actually quite like that at all. Basically, CSIRO has, a, like, an equity for research program, which is a bit... I don't really understand how it functions, but it's basically, like, they will offer, quote, some R&D resources in exchange for equity in the company. Mm. What that actually looks like, CSIRO does do some, like, food and crops sort of research. So whether it was, like, a pure rubber stamp or actually involves some R&D stuff, whatever. But... It gave it the patina of being cool science shit, basically. So they were like really pumping it. The Rebel Whopper is made of their patty. Mm. There is also a Rebel Whopper in the US, which is Impossible Burger, Mm. but in Australia it's V2. So while I was at BI, I was getting one of the reporters that was working with me to email them and call them up and be like, can we tour your facility? Mm. Because they were really leaning into the fact that it was like designed in a lab. Now this is industrial research chemistry where pushing the fucking sector forward. We're inventing meatless meat in mm. a lab. And they were like really deflective and never let it happen. And I think the the reason for that is that there was probably no lab that was remotely interesting. No. And it probably looked like the same lab where they like invent kettles, chips and shit like that. <laughs> well, I, mean, I should yeah, just look like a, probably a food processing lab. Yeah, exactly. Like, like nothing interesting or exciting was like, you know, they're selling it as being like guys running around in lab coats mm. inventing a nuclear bomb. <laughs> Robert Oppenheimer was there. Yeah. And it yeah, obviously wasn't like that. So they're kind of now stuck in the position where it's like, I think the tech stuff has kind of fallen away. You're just a, another food company mm. trying to sell what are, at the end of the day, I hate to say it, rebranded veggie burgers. Yeah. Better tasting veggie burgers. Yeah. No, and look, in terms of an innovation on that basis, they've nailed it. Yeah. You know? It's way better than what they used to have. And there's going to be a consumer segment who probably likes them. Mm. But it's not going to absolutely revolutionize the way the world eats meat anytime soon. No, unfortunately, but... No, exactly. Um, and I'm sure we'll keep seeing like those 
because the other one that got really popular is like the companies doing fake chicken nuggets, meatless chicken nuggets and yeah. stuff like that. So plant-based is in the rear vision mirror. That's left to die and do whatever. Now we're moving on to like alt-protein lab-grown meat. Yeah, yeah. Take one cell from a cow or whatever and it grows in a Petri dish. And you put it in like this pressure cooker sort of thing to grow like a full chicken breast from mm. this one cell of chicken. Vat meat. Does that sound appealing to you? Would you eat a vat meat burger? I'll give it a whirl. Yeah. I put anything in my mouth. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's, uh, so that's what they're, fo- what they're focusing on now. But the problem with that is that it is, A, unbelievably expensive. Yeah. One of the problems I should say with the plant-based meat as well is it's way more expensive than, unfortunately, keeping some cows in some kind of prison cage and then, like, executing them. Oh, for sure. No, it's exactly. That's why this stuff is, like, noticeably more expensive. And losing heaps of money. Yeah, exactly. And a terrible business. (laughs) Exactly. Not terrible. Again, if they were sold for triple the price of meat well and this is the other problem that they don't have the flexibility of pricing like it, it has to be more expensive than meat and they're still making a loss so as a consumer if you're umming and ahhing about whether to buy like meat or the fake meat you have to be paying more which again is it to see yeah, most people are just not going to cross that rubicon and they're still losing money so it really should be more expensive than it yeah. currently is but yeah sorry as you're saying the lab grown stuff is even more expensive it's, it's, it's phenomenally expensive and there's I was reading there's like one restaurant in the world that's in Singapore that does it in partnership with some US company that's doing this lab grown meat and it's like phenomenally expensive and the company that does it is like we do not have the capacity to be like ramping this up to a level that we would be selling it to regular consumers. Because uh, I read a review or like an article about this stuff and they were talking about going to this restaurant or some um, event where they were displaying this food and then they were showing off this lab grown chicken and the guy was like ate it and was like it's, it's okay. It doesn't really taste like chicken. You know, it's kind of, the texture's sort of wrong, but yeah, maybe I'd eat it. <laughs> Which, again, is one of the things where it's like, okay, so far off this actually being like revolutionary. It's the way that we eat food or whatever. Well, the weird thing about it as well is what that what it's attempting to replicate is not necessary. Like chicken breast, no offense, it rarely is your mind blown by some chicken breasts and potatoes, gravy, maybe some broccoli. Right? I don't know. My mind's blown already hearing that. What you're attempting, like what you're aspiring to is just like a relatively average meal. Yeah. And again, one thing they ran into with the plant-based thing, which maybe they didn't anticipate, as with everything, like the absurd like culture war thing that popped up around, where it was like every time a fast food joint would experiment with like a plant-based <laughs> meat option on the menu, everyone would just freak out for no reason. Yeah. And like part of it was obviously astroturfed by like, existing industry who hated mm. this sort of stuff you know the came stuff came up was like you can't call it chicken or you can't call it yeah. meat whatever and that happened in like every market where it emerged and then people would like freak out in the facebook comments on the news.com.au article about the rebel whopper <laughs> and, you know it's whatever yeah i will never eat at burger king again exactly the soy boys are taking away my my whopper yeah so like they run to and I imagine it would be the same if they try to like get the cell, the lab-grown meat thing coming in. Fauci's meat. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They want you to eat prawn cubes and, and live in this cube and watch porn all day. Like <laughs> That's the World Economic Forum vision <laughs> for reality. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's true. I don't know. Well, I, will not, I will not eat the bugs. I will not live in the pod. Yeah. I'll eat bugs. I'll eat bugs and live in the pod. I'm, I'm for it. 